You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. You know, I was thinking this week, as Christians, we talk about a lot of important things. How we should understand and articulate the Trinity, why we should believe that justification is by faith and faith alone. Why do we hold to the doctrine of substitutionary atonement? And why do we believe that Jesus is the God-man? All very important topics. In fact, topics that we could argue are matters of life and death. Eternal life and death. Sadly, we are shockingly silent when it comes to other important daily theological questions. Like, what does the Bible say about the body? Now, I'm not talking about the body of Christ, something we'd call ecclesiology. I'm talking about a biblically sound understanding of our heads, shoulders, knees, and toes. How does God want you to think about your body? We get a lot of things right about a lot of other theological questions, but many of us, myself included, become functional heretics whenever we think about our bodies. The way we see ourselves in the mirror and the way we use our bodies might just prove, might just indicate how unbiblical we are when it comes to a theology of the body. We mess this up in two ways. The first way we mess up our theology of the body is by seeing it as a God. The body and physical pleasure is the highest and only good. That's, that's when you know you've made it a God, is when you see physical pleasure as the highest and greatest and only good. Whatever my body wants, it gets because my body calls the shots. If it feels good, if it tastes good, if it looks good, then why keep my body from having it? It's this very thing, this very way of thinking that keeps a person in bed longer than they should be. Keeps them chained to the couch and glued to the television. It demands the best food, the best sex, the best comforts. And when it comes to the body, we give it everything at once and more, whatever it costs us. There's a second group. Another way we, me- we live in a messed up theology of the body is by seeing it as garbage. Surprising lot of us, a surprising group of us would be in this category. We stand in front of the mirror and we pour out pure hatred on what we see. When we go out into public, every window we pass, every shiny surface that we stand in front of, every picture we take reminds us of how much there is to dislike about the way we look. We trash our bodies and convince ourselves that there is nothing lovely or lovable about them. It makes it very difficult to enjoy relationships. Because we're just convinced, right, that the people around us are seeing the same disgusting thing that that I see. They're surely looking at all the things that that I see about myself and agree with me on how gross and how broken it is. My friends, neither of these ways of seeing the body describes the way God sees your body. Far from seeing our bodies as a God or as garbage, the Lord describes our body as a gift that was purchased by him to glorify him. As we'll see from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, your body has been redeemed by God, bought with a price, is now owned by God, and will be resurrected by God. 
And when you keep it in mind that your body is meant to be a gift, it keeps you from making too much of the body, making it into a God, or making too little of the body, treating it like trash. Instead, you receive it as a gift that's been redeemed, has been purchased, has been graciously given to you by a redeeming God. And it helps you to understand that what we do with our bodies actually does matter. Now, if you've been tracking with us through the letter of 1 Corinthians, you probably came to church this morning half expecting to hear a sermon on sexual immorality. In context, you'd be right to an extent. But there's more going on in 1 Corinthians 6 than just a topic of sexual immorality. Paul wants us to have a holistic understanding of what our bodies are, how God sees our bodies, and why it matters how we use them. He wants us to understand our bodies from God's perspective. He's using sexual immorality as a platform to correct the Corinthians and yours and my bad view of the body. Corinth was a Greco-Roman city and it lived off of Greek philosophy. So do we, by the way. Our, our whole modern philosophy tends to be more Greco than anything else. And the Greeks used to teach that there was a sharp divide between the body, the, the, the material, and the soul, the immaterial. There's a thing called dualism, right? That these two things were distinct, separated, they were not connected. There's the body, and then there's the soul. They're both important in different facets, but they're not connected. They're not meant to be together. One day, the body will simply stop existing, and then there will be nothing but the soul. So it really doesn't matter how you see your body or what you do with it. That's a very Greek philosophy. The idea led some people to become aesthetics who believe that we should deprive our body of every comfort and every physical pleasure. The best way to live in the body was to punish it. We find an example of this in Colossians chapter 2. Aesthetics saw the body as garbage. Don't treat it. Don't give it anything. You eat that ice cream, you might be robbed of some spiritual sin, some spiritual goodness. If you go on a relaxing walk, you might just be robbing yourself of some spiritual good. So deprive your body. Uh, uh, it's just garbage. Treat it like garbage. Don't, don't give it the pleasures that it wants. Some went the other way into a thing called physical hedonism. If aesthetics treated the body like garbage, then physical hedonists saw it as a god. Now, no, they didn't really think the body was divine, right? But they, they thought pleasure was. Give the body whatever it wants. Pamper it. Sleep with whoever you want. Eat whatever you want. Drink however much you want. Satisfy every appetite. Chase every craving. It's all the same either way. Doesn't really matter in the long run. It's this same philosophy that explains why the man of 1 Corinthians 5 could go to church on Sunday in Corinth and then go sleep with his father's wife on Monday. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing to correct both bad philosophies. There is indeed a physical life and a spiritual life, but the two are not disconnected. They're not so distinct that they are uh, kept from becoming connected together. God has made us embodied spirits. We are spiritually physical and physically spiritual beings. I want to say it again. We are spiritually physical and physically spiritual. So what you do with your physical body, how you see your physical body, has eternal spiritual significance and consequences. 
I think we can sum up 1 Corinthians 6 and Paul's theology of the body under three basic but related points. I want you to hear very clearly this first one because I feel like there's a lot of people here that need to hear it. I really desperately needed to read this myself this week. Your body matters to God. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And yet, all of us struggle with it to some capacity. Your body matters to God. So much so that he bought it. He redeemed it, made it his. Your body matters to God. And then point number two, because your body matters to God and because he owns it, what you do with your body matters to God. And then finally, Paul believes that not only does our body matter to God and what we do with our body matters, but our body will always matter to God. So let's start with that first one. Your body matters to God. Did you know that when scripture describes how God makes a person, it does so using craftsman type language, right? You hear a lot of language about potter and clay. Um, you read uh, in, in Psalm 139 that the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, he's, he's using this idea, this forming idea of, of a potter taking clay and carefully crafting it. He goes on to say that we have been knit together in our mother's wombs by a divine artist. That knitting together is this craftsman language, language that God has taken care. He has put thought, he has put concern and love into his creation. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen an artist at work, but it's quite fascinating. My wife and I used to walk around the annual art festival in our old town where we, we were from. Um, I just remember the first year she invited me to come, I was like, I'm not going to no art festival. Are you kidding me? Like, going, walking around an art, why would we do that? She says, do you want to go to the art festival? I said, no, I don't want to go to an art festival. She says, they have funnel cakes. I say, get in the car. <laughs> So we got in the car. We're walking around this art festival. I came for the funnel cakes. I'm sitting there munching on a funnel cake. And I got stopped dead in my tracks. It is fascinating to watch an artist at work. You can see it in their eyes. They care about what they're doing. They're connected with their creations, aren't they? They're pouring themselves out. It's, it's like the whole world and everything around them, the funnel cakes included, have disappeared. And there's nothing but them and their work of art. My friends, when God made us like a great artist, he put his thought, his care, his love into the creation of your bodies. If that's not enough for you to believe that your body actually does matter to God, then consider the fact that he went through all the trouble to purchase it for himself. Your body is already fearfully and wonderfully made. It's already his because he created it. But then he loves your body so much that he actually sent his son to die for you and to purchase your body. Listen to what Paul says in verses 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That one statement summarizes everything Paul wants you to hear about your body. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Now let's just dwell in that for a moment. Oftentimes we think about the gospel and we think about all the spiritual implications. What about the physical implications? What does the gospel have to say about our body? If you want to know that your body really does matter, just think about the good news. 
God sent his son to take on what? A body. Flesh. And not just for a specific point in time, but from now on. Jesus took on flesh, became incarnate, he died, and then he rose again. And guess what? He kept his body. The body must not be garbage. Because if it was garbage, why in the world would Jesus keep his body and still have a body at the right-hand throne of God? Sam Albury writes this, It is hard to think of a bigger affirmation of human bodies than the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus. Not only did he fully and physically become human, but Jesus remained so. Can you imagine how crazy this is? Jesus took on flesh. He suffered in that flesh on the cross. He died. He rose again with that flesh. And he kept that flesh. The first time you see Jesus, you will see Jesus in his body. When the new heaven and new earth finally comes, you will walk with Jesus and his body. You will drink wine from a hand, a physical hand of Jesus that hands you that wine goblet. If the body was garbage, then why did Jesus keep his? I think logically then we can say, well, the fact that he has a body, the fact that he's kept the body, the fact that he will always have his body and never put off his body again tells us that the body actually does matter. It's not garbage. Now think about what he did with his body. He used his body to redeem yours. By taking on a body, he was able to bleed. He was able to be cut, to be whipped, to be bruised, to be beaten to a pulp, to be nailed to a cross. He used his body to redeem your body. He rose again, not just so that you could be spiritually reconciled to God, but so that you could have a physical resurrection as well. My kids and I, we do the New City Catechism, which comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, nerdy fact. Um, the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism says this. What is our only hope in life and death? The answer, I am not my own, but belong. Listen to this. Body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a weird thing to add. Why not just summarize, I, I'm not my own, but belong to my faith. Why add body and soul? Because that's the point. That's what the gospel has to say for your body. It's not just your soul that's been saved. Your body matters to God so much so that he bought it with blood. Your soul's not the only blood-bought thing about you. Your hair was blood-bought. Your eyes were blood-bought. Your hands were blood-bought. Everything about you was blood-bought, and now you belong to him. Verse 15, Paul goes on to say, not only did he buy, buy you, he bought you, he made your bodies members of himself. I, I, that shocks me. My body's a member of Christ? That's what he says, verse 15. Your bodies are members of Christ. If it was garbage, why does he keep it? If your body, it's one thing to say Jesus' body wasn't garbage. What about your body? If your body was garbage, then why does Jesus take it to himself and say, it's mine, I bought it and I'm keeping it. It's a member of me. You'd sooner take off Jesus' arm then divorce your body from him. 
Do you hear Paul correcting our bad theology? Your body's not a God. It's owned by God. And your body's not garbage. It was something purchased by the Holy Son of God who spilt his blood for you. The body is something that God has graciously redeemed and made his own. That said, the body matters to God. Your body matters to God. So your body should matter to you. Logically, if your body matters to God, then it makes sense that what you do with your body also matters to God. If Paul's way of thinking about the body is correct, then our physical actions matter because they have spiritual meaning and consequences. As a physical, spiritual being, my physical actions like eating, drinking, having sex, conversations, exercise, relationships, uh, relaxation, and so on, none of that is just physical. They're innately spiritual actions. Sex is not just sex. Food is not just food. Physical actions reveal a spiritual reality. For proof, look at 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, which says that our physical actions, physical things that we do with our bodies, are enough to separate a person from the spiritual kingdom of God. He says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You might be arguing with yourself, well, unrighteous is a spiritual term. Yeah, but then he goes on to list several physical actions that he says that, we, that will separate us from the kingdom of God. Stealing, how do you steal? With your hands. Greediness, sexual immorality, abusiveness, and getting drunk. Literally how I use alcohol and whether it controls me and how I see it. That is actually a spiritual thing. It has spiritual ramifications. It's not just physically drinking. It's a spiritual thing. Because we are spiritually physical and physically spiritual beings, we should see our physical actions as incredibly, massively, eternally important. Who we sleep with matters. How we speak to those around us matters. What we do with our hands, whether we take, give, punch, caress, or comfort, matters. In context, this is why Paul makes such a big deal about sexual immorality, which in Greek is called pornea. Pornea, you can hear the, the root for pornography, right? But pornea is really this blanket term for any deviation outside of God's design for sex. It could be pornography. It could be uh, an affair. It could be marital infidelity, homosexuality, really any other kinds of sex that you can think of that are outside the covenant of marriage. And Paul argues that those actions are not spiritually benign. They're not just physical actions. Yes, they are physical actions done by physical bodies. However, these actions are not merely physical because you're not merely physical. You are spiritually physical, physically spiritual. So even something as physical as sex is spiritual in and of itself. It's physical and spiritual. That said, pornea, sexual immorality, hurts our bodies in ways that few sins can. When we commit other sins, we do not necessarily become one flesh with that thing, do we? So this is what Paul says. When, when a man commit, other sins are committed outside the body, but when a man commits sexual immorality, he sins against his own body. What in the world does he mean by that? Well, here's the thing. A man who gets drunk doesn't necessarily become one flesh with alcohol. A person who is gluttonous doesn't necessarily become one flesh with food. A man who sleeps with a prostitute does. 
a man who gets on pornography is committing one flesh actions. One commentator says that just as sex is uniquely physical and spiritual, it is u- uniquely body joining. It's, it's two fleshes becoming one flesh. And therefore, sexual sin is uniquely body defiling. That's why God cares about who we sleep with. Any sexual act that is outside his design damages us in unique ways. Doesn't lessen our value. Doesn't take away how important he sees us. But it does hurt us. Now at this point you might be thinking, now hold on. Didn't Christ die to set me free from condemnation? And if I can no longer be condemned, then what does it matter what I do? It can't be judged, right? So if I can't be judged, then why can't I do what I want to do? Isn't it all okay for me to do? Because I can't be condemned because I'm in Christ and Christ has freed me from condemnation. That's exactly how the Corinthians thought. And, uh, and Paul's going to address their little Corinthianisms here. There's two Corinthianisms, these little slogans that they would use when they talked about the body. The first idea, the first Corinthianism is this. All things are lawful for me. In other words, Christ died to set me free from the law's condemnation, correct? Paul would say, yes. Then the Corinthians would say, well, then all things are lawful for me. I can't, be, I can't be judged under the law for what I do anymore, so what does it matter what I do? Paul argues, yes, you've been set free from condemnation, but that does not mean that you're free to do what you want. Sure, you are free from condemnation, but not everything you want to do with your body is all that profitable. And there are some things you want to do with the freedom of your body that might actually lead you back into slavery. Let me give you an example. I'm free to be on Instagram. I can use my hands and my eyes and my mind to be on Instagram. I can scroll through Instagram. There's no law to condemn me. Still, I think it's worth remembering that left unchecked, endless scrolling through Instagram reels is not all that profitable. Am I the only one that watched a lady in her poodle and some guy jumped through a hula hoop and some other guy jumped off a cliff for an hour and think like, where in the world did that time go? Not all that profitable, right? Just endless reels that do not stop. Not only is it not all that profitable, left unchecked, it can lead me back into slavery. Either by becoming addicted to my phone, it can take away other freedoms, like the freedom to actually connect with my kids or my wife. It can also take away other freedoms in the sense of like, it might actually lead me and become a gateway into pornography. You have to always keep that in mind that just because you're free to do something doesn't mean you're free to do it however you want. I'm free to eat bacon hamburgers. Praise the Lord. He's made it clean. I can do it. But eating bacon cheeseburger every time I want to eat a bacon cheeseburger is not all that beneficial for my body, is it? And it may actually work to take away other freedoms like seeing my grandkids. Like being able to climb Mount Rainier someday. Some things that we are free to do, the fact that God has set us free to do those things doesn't mean that we are free to do those things in however we want. Our freedoms never, should never be used to lead us to do unprofitable things or lead us back into slavery. That's not why God gave us freedom. A second Corinthianism that the Corinthians use is this. 
Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. In other words, I get hungry, so I might as well eat, right? So food is for the body, body's for the food. Both the body and food are going to perish. They're going to die. Might as well give the body what it wants while it's still here. Don't keep back things like sex or alcohol or, or drink. Give, give, it, give yourself fully to whatever you want because you're going to die anyway. And the body is meant for craving. So feed your cravings. Paul argues that if you see your body in that way, has just a craving cash machine, slot machine, right? It craves, so give it what you want. If you see your body in that way, you have misunderstood why the body was made in the first place. Paul says, the body is not meant for food or for sex. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I just want to be clear here. I'm not talking about waistlines and pant sizes. If we were, I shouldn't be preaching this sermon. I'm talking about how you see your body. I'm not talking about the cultural things that, that, that our culture says make a beautiful body. I'm not talking about any of that. We're not talking about scales and, and all that kind of stuff and, and, and the sizes and all that. I'm talking about the way of seeing your body as what it was meant for. It wasn't meant for every craving. It was meant for the Lord. When Jesus redeems, he does not just redeem a person's soul. He redeems their body as well. In salvation, Jesus is not just after you being free from spiritual condemnation. He wants you to be able to use your body and, and have your body be freed from sin and from that condemnation. You're not saved because you obeyed God with your body. However, because you have been saved, you should use your body in an obedient way. You're not saved because your body honored God, but because you've been saved, you have been saved so that you would honor God with your body obediently. Spiritual justification always leads to physical sanctification. Always. In verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you, you were washed. That's an interesting word. He uses three different words. You were washed, you were sanctified, which is a synonym for sanctifying. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, notice Paul's use of the word washed. Washed throughout the New Testament is a spiritual action that has physical ramifications. For example, you can just read what the author of Hebrews says. He says that we have been saved. We can draw near to God in full assurance of faith. How? With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's interesting. I thought we just needed spiritual cleansing. Paul says, no, we've been spiritually and physically cleaned. What we do with our bodies then is not insignificant because our physical actions indicate a spiritual reality. The truth that I am not my own but was bought by a price is followed with, so then glorify God with your body. That's the natural progression of it. Whatever you do, you've been set free but whatever you do with that freedom, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. So here's the logic we've seen so far. Your body matters to God. That's good news. He purchased it and he made it his. And so what you do with your body also matters. 
But we're not done with Paul's theology of what makes a healthy idea of the body. The next piece of a biblically sound theology of the body is recognizing that your body will always matter. Not just now, but will always matter. Make no mistake about it. Our bodies are not what they should be. There are some of you that are sitting here today in pain. It hurts to walk. It hurts to get up. Somebody slapped you on the back to say hi to you on your way in, and it was excruciating. There's some of you that are dealing with chronic sickness, chronic disorders, disabilities, depression, anxiety, and all these things, all these ways that the body can rebel against you. Can I just give you good news? Your body matters to God now as it is. And it will always matter to God. And he, in his good timing and in his good grace, will transform that humble, broken, weak body into a glorious body that bears the image of his son. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 13 and 14. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord. That's the resurrection. And will also raise us up by his power. That's our resurrection. The body is meant for the Lord. The Lord is meant for the body. Period. That means that when you die, the Lord is still for your body. God has eternal plans for your body. He loves it. He's going to use it. Because he does not see your body as garbage, he will not leave your body in the ground. You will raise up. You will live. No matter how broken your body currently is, whatever state your body might be in, the promise of Jesus is that on the last day he will raise us up because our bodies matter to him forever. So let's sum up. How do we keep ourselves from functional heresy when we stand in front of the mirror? You know, good theology is always practical. It must be. If it's not practical, it's not good theology. Good theology is always practical. It must be lived in. It must be lived out. So what do we do with all this? Our bodies matter to God. What we do with our bodies matter. And our bodies will always matter. Okay? Well, how's that going to change my day to day? For those of you who see the body as a God, this idea that your body is meant to be given whatever it craves, you need to hear the clear message. You are not your own. You're not. Your body belongs to God. He created it. He bought it. And now he calls you to glorify him through it. Your body and what you do with it matters. It's not just something to use for however you please. It's ultimately not meant for food, alcohol, porn, sex, or anything else. It's not meant for your popularity, your reputation. It's not meant for all those things. It's meant ultimately for the Lord. If you are treating your body as a God, you are seeing all these pleasures as the things that can give you satisfaction outside the Lord. And it won't happen. Ask anyone who's come out of an addiction. The alcohol eventually left them thirsty. 
Ask anyone who's had an affair on their wife. The sex they wanted so badly and they thought would be so satisfying was actually sickening to think about now. Food leaves us hungry. Leisure leaves us tired. My friends, when we treat pleasure as God, it ceases to do what only God can do. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God will not give us and our bodies peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. If you're treating your body like a God, I just want you to, to be invited to real joy and satisfaction. All these things you're chasing, you know, are going to leave you empty. Broken cisterns without water that can't hold water, can't satisfy the thirst. My friends, don't let the body be a God. You are not your own. Your body is his, and there can be no lasting joy outside of him. Now, I think there's a lot of people that might struggle with treating the body as a God. I think there's far more of us that treat the body like garbage. Can I just have a moment of vulnerability for you right now? I, I fit into that category. I woke up this morning and I tried on a few different shirts and I thought, man, there's just no way I'm gonna look good in front of these people. I finished a video project a few weeks ago and one of my friends asked me, he said, how do you, how do you feel about it? Did you feel okay? I was like, well, I hate my body, I hate my voice. And he looked me right back dead in the eyes and he said, so you hate the image of God? You hate the thing that God bought for himself? Man, it's brutal, isn't it? I'm the guy that walks from my car to my office and I see all these windows and inevitably there's going to be that huge temptation just to see that reflection and take mental note of all the things I hate about me. Every displaced freckle, every pimple, every hair out of place, my overweightness, whatever it is, just to critique it and, and just sure that everybody else sees it. Here's what I needed to hear this week. And here's what I need you to hear if you can relate with that at all. You were bought with a price. Jesus didn't buy garbage. He didn't die for garbage. He died for you. Every freckle, every misshapen nose, every hair out of place that you hate, he died for that to make it his. Don't hate what Jesus loves. Jesus died for your body and your soul. Paid for it at the cross. And he is delighted to call you mine. If that weren't enough, he didn't just purchase you and put you on the shelf. No, he purchased you and then said, that's my house. That's my temple. I will live there. God doesn't live in trash cans. God lives in blood-bought people 
that he is sanctifying, glorifying, and perfecting. My friends, when you look at the mirror, you might see a broken, weak, sickly, small, overweight, ugly self. And walk away from that calling yourself complete trash. I need you to know that if you see your body as garbage, God does not share your opinion. He doesn't see you in that way. You're his. And he bought you. And it's because of him that we are beautiful. And because of him that we can glorify God. So stop listening to yourself when you stand in front of the mirror. Tell yourself what God says about you. Tell your body what God says about your body. You are blood-bought, redeemed, temple of the holy, most high God. If it dies today, he resurrects it tomorrow. Why? Because he loves your body. He loves everything about you, body and soul. You're his. Be free to enjoy that. Don't let it be a God. Don't let it be garbage. Let it be a gift. The whole point of having our body is so that we can then accept the gift and then give it back to the Lord as a living sacrifice. My friends, there's some of you today, whether you've thought about it as a God or as garbage, you need to do the same thing I've had to do all week in preparing for this sermon. You need to repent. You need to take your hands and give them back to God. You need to take your body image and hand it over to him. You need to take all the pleasures and all the cravings and all the pursuit and give those to him. Submit them to his cross. You need to take your hair, your feet, your mind, your height, your weight, and you need to rededicate it all back to his glory. Whatever it is that is you, everything about you, body and soul, is now his that he uses as a vehicle of his glory. I just want to invite you to do that today. We're going to get to sing. And then there will be a great chance for you just to do business with God. To repent of treating your body as a God. And to repent of treating it as garbage. And to accept it as a gift to be used for his glory. Can I just pray for you? Father God, I... Uh, God, I don't even know what to pray. There's so many ways that we look down upon our body or maybe we make too much of our body. Father, sometimes we give our bodies everything it craves and it becomes a, an oppressive God and then there's other times we stand in front of the mirror and see only garbage. God, I just ask that you will correct our bad theology of the body. Help us not diminish what you have bought. Don't let us lessen the, the purchase that you have made. We are not our own. Our hands, our feet, our mouth, our eyes, our nose, our ears, everything about us belongs to you because we were bought with a price. So now let us glorify you with our bodies. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.